In the parasha this week, we're going to see the Malachim come tell Avram and Sarah that they're going to have a child. And in doing so, they ask Avram Avin where Sarah is. And Rashi notes that the Pasuk uses dots on top of the word, a love, that they spoke to him. And says, from here we learn that actually they wanted to know from Sarah also about Avram Avin, which gives us a take-home lesson. The Rebbe will ask four questions about that. And then he's going to quote right in Rashi from Bava Metzia that there were actually three reasons that they wanted to know where Sarah was. And that will raise seven questions as well. And of course, the underlying question that we have to ask is, what gets Rashi to comment in the first place? What's bothering Rashi is each malach has a unique mission to fulfill. Why are all the malachim asking after Sarah if actually only one malach has to address her? So we're going to learn all kinds of interesting insights about the principle of the dots versus the letters, how you darshan. We're going to learn about the link between the three different explanations in Bob and Metzia, and a take-home lesson for us, especially if we feel sometimes that we're floundering and don't have enough time for our Yiddishkeit. From Pasuk, on that Pasuk where they said to Avraham Avinu, the Malachim said to Avraham Avinu, where is sorry your wife? Is Rashi, matik Rashi quotes two words. They said to him, Olizma Forish explains as follows that you have to note that on top of the word a love there are dots, and the dots are specifically on the three letters out of Yudvav. And we have a principle taught by Rabbi Shimon ben Elazar that call Mokim Shaksav Rabal and at a any situation where they are more letters than Nakudos, which is the majority of cases, you read into the letters and therefore you understand the word of face value. But Whereas over here they are extra Nakudos, and so that draws your eye and tells you you should actually now interpret the Nakudos. So says Rabbi Shem ben this teaches us that not only did they ask Avram Avinu where Sarah was, but they actually asked Sarah about Avram as well, which gives us a great lesson about how you behave when you're at somebody else's house. That uh, from here we learn, This teaches us that when a person is at others, you ask the host about the well-being of his wife, you ask the wife about the well-being of the husband. That's the first thing that Rashi teaches. Then there's a second segment of Rashi where he quotes Baba Metziah that there were three reasons why they wanted to know where Sarah was. We'll come to that shortly. In the meantime, we have to ask four questions. Is it verstanden? Aleph Rashi's pirish is the chechera bloyze from word a love. Nokot alai aleph yud vav shebe a love. Surely all Rashi is explaining to us is the additional dots on top of the three letters of the word a love. So surely then the word a love should have been the headline of the Rashi. Why does Rashi include in his heading also the word Vayomer, which ostensibly he doesn't explain? Question two, base. Usually Rashi only quotes the name of who the source is, if that's going to help us understand things better. So Rashi brings them nomen from Bala, Maimer, Nor, Gitsu, and Avon, The only time Rashi quotes who the source is, is if it helps to understand the concept better. So we have to ask ourselves, how do we better understand this principle about the dots versus the letters now knowing that the author is Rabbi Shimon ben Elazar? Question number three. If practically the Torah wants to draw our attention to an understanding that we wouldn't have immediately noticed, is it necessary to put three dots? This whole principle that you need extra dots to tell you to dash on the dots needs to be explained. Because, Why do you have to go that method? Add a whole lot of dots to draw our attention to the fact that there are letters with dots that outweigh the letters without dots, and therefore you have to pay attention to those letters. There's an easier way to do it. Seeing as logically, if I've got four letters, and if one of those letters has an akuda and the majority don't, then I would darshan the majority of the letters without the dots. So logic says, you're looking for a method to draw my attention to certain letters. Well, if the principle says letters without dots, if they're in the majority, you darshan them. So just add one or two dots. In other words, the minority add dots, and that will draw our attention to the majority undotted letters. Or to be specific, in our case, we've got four letters to, choice, to choose from. So, if the Torah wants to draw our eye to those three letters, 
So you could have put one dot onto the lamet. Now there is one letter with a dot, three without. The rule is follow the majority. The same principle would now tell me I have to look at what Aleph Yud Vav represent because they're the majority of letters without dots. Why is the solution Dafga to put extra dots? You could achieve the same result with a single dot. And then Dalit. Once we're looking at dots, let's make a comparison to a neighboring story where there's also a dot on a word, actually in this week's parasha. Besides the difficulties we've raised now and how Rashi explains things here in this pasuk, actually read on a little bit further in the same parasha, and it would appear that Rashi actually contradicts himself. Because the story of Lloyd's daughters who seduced him, it says, after the first order, he didn't know when she lay with him. She, he didn't know when she got up in the morning. So Rashi says, on that word, there is a dot on top of the hay. Says Rashi, from that single dot, we learn that actually when she got up in the morning, he was aware of what had happened. Now, not only is it a single dot, but much more importantly, the pshat is he didn't know. The dot completely undermines the pshat and says he really did know. How does that fit with what Rashi is saying over here? There Rashi says the dot makes you completely redefine the word. Here Rashi says the dots make you explain what the dots within the word represent. But you don't redefine and reject the pshat. So that doesn't seem to add up. Okay, those are our questions on the first part of Rashi. Now let's go to the second part of Rashi. So Rashi doesn't even start a fresh headline. So that tells you whatever he's going to say next is linked to what we've just learned. So he continues, The Bob says, The Malachim knew where Sarah was. I mean, there are Malachim. That's not a surprise. So why did they ask? So what they asked is, they Dafka asked, where's Sarah? To highlight the fact that Sarah was modest and that she wasn't in the room with them so that Avram Avinu would find her more attractive. That's the second explanation because the first explanation is that it's actually telling us they wanted to know how she is and they wanted Sarah to tell them how, about how Avram is doing. Second explanation now based on Bob Mitzia is they knew where she was but they wanted to highlight the fact that she was so modest that yeah, Avram Avinu would appreciate her more. And then a third explanation of Rabbi Yisbarchanina, they wanted to be able to send her kosher brocha. Obviously, they had eaten. Now, now they wanted to say a brocha at the end. Uh, whether they benched or not, in the classical sense, who knows? But there was a, a cup of wine that they'd made a brocha over, and they wanted to send some to her. Now, that's going to raise a string of questions, seven questions in total. Number one, how does this flow? You're talking about Aleph Yud Vav out of Elov. These explanations that they knew where she was and they just wanted Avraham Avinu to appreciate her or they wanted to send her the Kosher Brocha is That is not an explanation of the words that, that, that Rashi is quoted as the headline which is They addressed Avraham Avinu. This is actually an explanation of the next words Where's Sarah? Surely this deserves a whole separate Rashi under a different heading because he's addressing a different issue. And not only that, but the Kashi is not starker. It's an even more serious question when you think about it. The fact that Rashi is now quoting the Gemara of Bob Metziah to say how modest she is, surely that contradicts what we've just read in Rashi. Is in <laughs> they, according to Rashi in the first part, they addressed Sarah directly and asked her about Avraham Avinu. Surely that is not so modest, these strange men speaking to Sarah. How does Rashi accommodate both of these explanations in one continuum? They're contradictory. Either they spoke to her and she was out there in the public, or she was modest. 
Question two, simple question. Why do we have to know the source? Why do we have to know that the origin is Bob Metzir? Rashi does not typically quote sources unless it's relevant. Which leads us to the next similar question. And like we asked earlier, and why do we have to know that within Baba Metzia, whose voice was it that said you sent her Koshal Brocha? Rabbi Yosef Brachanina, how does that help to answer? And by the way, if we're talking about the Koshal Brocha, it is a bit strange that the Malochim should send the Koshal Brocha. That's surely not so tznias. Dalit. Why did the Malochim send their wine to Sarah as part of the Koshal Brocha? Surely that is completely inappropriate behavior. Strange men sending wine to a married woman. And besides, practically, Avram Atochir can get him from Zayn Koshal Brocha. Why couldn't Avram Avinu just share his own Koshal Brocha with Sarah and avoid this uncomfortable situation in the first place? And then we have to ask, look, now you've told me that there are three explanations, possibly, to what was going on over here, right? Hey, Rashi is Rashi now provided three possible reasons why they were asking about Sarah. First explanation is because it's appropriate to ask a host how his wife is. The second explanation because to highlight and emphasize how Tznius Sarah was. To send her the Koshal Brocha. So you need three explanations for this? Why do we need three different explanations? Right? Surely one explanation should do the trick. Vav Nochmer, take that a step further. Rashi has already told us at the beginning of the parasha that one of the reasons the Malachim are there in the first place is to tell Sarah she's going to have a baby. Surely that's the reason then to ask where she is? <laughs> Why is Rashi even asking the question, why did they want to know where Sarah was? Because that was their shlichus, to tell her she's going to have a baby. In fact, the very next thing is that they say, Sarah is going to have a baby, and the Torah tells us Sarah heard it. Why does Rashi have to look for any reason to explain why they were looking for Sarah? It's obvious why they were looking for Sarah. That's what they were there for. And the last point is, why does Rashi put a whole lot of explanations together without any separation between them. Zayn, the dry time of Rashi brings Zayn, the dry bazundra time of Sarah, Nik and Shaykh Senetum Sveten. All three of the explanations that Rashi has given are completely independent. There is nothing that links asking the host to the fact that she's sneers to the fact that they're sending Koshal Brocha. Hein Favos schreibt zu Rashi in ein Hemschech. Why then does Rashi put them all in one continuum? Surely Rashi should have used some kind of separator, as he often does. He has another explanation. So explanation number one is, you ask the host how his wife is doing. An alternative explanation to show Avramovino how modest she was. An alternative explanation because they wanted to say Why is it just Rashi puts them all together as if all of them are linked? And see, Dikash is noch starker, especially when you consider the source. The Gemara Bob Metzia says that the first explanation was to highlight how beautiful uh, Sarah is, because she's so modest. Number two, Rabbi Yosef Brachanina says, now the order of those words is really important, because those words indicate was the Losha Rabbi Yosef Achnina Omar, the Nam from Balamaim Fardim Vort Omar. In Gemara language, when you have the name before the word Omar, that indicates that Rabbi Yosef Achnina disagrees with the preceding explanation. On Rashi's Meshana Unshaved Om Rabbi Yosef Achnina Chole, Rashi reverses that. And he puts the word Omar before Rabbi Yosef Hanina's name. Which indicates that he doesn't argue. In fact, he picks up on the conversation. So not only is it strange to us that Rashi hasn't separated three independent explanations into three separate segments, but he even seems to contradict his source, the Gemara, that says Rabbi Yosef Hanina disagreed with the principle of Lechabba Baila. And Rashi says it's all the same thing. So in order to answer this, we have to get to the Key, what's bothering Rashi? The Bir of 
What Rashi wants to first tackle is Seeing as we've already identified that the obvious reason to ask with Sarah is is because there was a shlichus given to these malachim to tell Sarah she's going to have a child, that's actually the problem. That raises a question. As we know, Rashi already points out at the beginning of the parasha that a malach can only do a single mission. So one malach was, was charged with telling Sarah she's going to have a baby. Rashi already pointed this out. He says one malach is there to tell Sarah she's going to have a baby. That's what Rashi says when, it's, when the, the message comes, I will come back in a year and you'll have a child. It's one Malach speaking. That's the core issue here. That's what bothers Rashi. If a single Malach is required to tell Sarah she's going to have a baby, why do all three of the Malachim in the plural all ask after Sarah? So now we get it. Now we've solved our first question. Why is Vayomru included in the headline? Because not only is Rashi looking to address the question of the Nukudos on Aleph Yud Vav of the word I love, but he also wants to know the key question, why is it Vayomru? Why are the Malachim in plural looking for Sarah if only one of them has to deal with her? To, to address that question, Rashi says this. Why do all three Malachim ask after Sarah? Because it's an appropriate behavior that you ask your host how the family is, starting with his wife. Rashi deducts that the fact that all of the Malachim wanted to know where is Sarah is clearly not linked to the shlichus to tell her about the baby. But because that's the appropriate thing to do, to ask, how is your wife? And seeing now as Rashi's derived from that word, a lesson that you have to ask your host about his family. Now, logic says that if there's this derech eretz that you're supposed to follow, which is find out how the family is, it's logical that it equally applies to ask the man about the woman and the woman about the man. So, therefore, it's logical that if you're supposed to inquire about the well-being of the family, it's logical that it applies both ways, which means we already know that they're supposed to ask Sarah about Avram. So, now Rashi has another question. If it's clear that the Malachim were meant to ask Sarah how Avram Avinu is doing, now we have a question, why didn't the Torah tell me as such? Therefore, Rashi says, this has to be a scenario now where the additional dots on the letters Aleph Yud Vav must relate to the Pshat, because I need something in the Pshat that tells me, yes, actually they asked Sarah as well how Avram Avinu is. Even though typically Rashi does not explain why there are dots on letters, because ordinarily it's not something which is intrinsic to understanding the Pshat. But here it is. Why is it? Because we've just seen that they all asked where is Sarah? Because they all have the responsibility to find out how the family is, and that's an equal responsibility that they should have asked Sarah about Avramovin, which means we have to find a way that the Torah tells me that that happened. That's why I have to explain the Nakudas, even though I normally don't. That's not the end of the story. It still leaves some questions for us. Usually, if you want to know how somebody is, the question is how they are. Not where they are. <laughs> so if, in fact, the Malachim were required to ask, how is Sarah? Great. But why do they say, ayeh? 
makes no difference where Sarah is to be able to ask how she is. So now, now we have a question still part of the same conversation. That's why we're not starting a new Dibur Hamaskel and a new section because it's still part of the same conversation. Why in fact did they ask where she is? Therefore, Rashi has to quote, He's got to give two additional explanations that would satisfy why not only did they want to know how Sarah is doing, but also where she's located. Either to highlight her tznias or to send a kosher bracha. So why did they ask the question Dafka in a language which is associated with where she is? For exactly that reason, because they needed to be able to highlight her location either to Avram Avinu or to themselves. Avram Avinu for Tznius, themselves for the Koshal Bracha. Now, the Midwest actually brings from Bomitzech Lidia Shutsnu Ahoyso, Fenfat and Nochashaila. The minute Rashi quotes that opinion in Bomitzech that says that it's Kedel Chabava to make Avram Avinu cherish sorrow because she's so modest, that automatically addresses a different question as well. Any time that you have a word or a letter that has a dot on it, which is one of the big things we're trying to struggle with, right? Why do you look at the dots and not at the letter? The minute there's a dot on top of a word or on top of a letter, straight away the first thing you have to know is there's something unique about this word or about this letter, and it's not like any other words or letters that we've read. Now the big question is, how is it different? It definitely is different. How is it different? Now, there are various possibilities. It would be too far a stretch for Pshat to say that the minute there are dots on a word, the word is no longer valuable. It's as if it's been cancelled. That wouldn't make any sense. Because if I'm at the Pshat level, then it doesn't make any sense to me. You're going to write a word and then cancel it. Just don't write the word. So the fact that the Torah wrote a word means I should take the word at face value, and then the Nekudos must add depth to it. So Muslims again, as the Nikud Machno Shvacher Deminukod, the logic would be to say, okay, so I've got a word. Under normal circumstances, the word would have a very clear meaning. The dots now weaken that clarity. The word is not as strong as it normally would be, and he has an example directly from Rashi as well. We know in the great reunion of Yaakov and Esau, Esau comes over and he kisses Yaakov, and there's dots, right? There's a dot on Vayishokei, says Rashi. says, why does it have a dot to tell us that even though Esau kissed Yaakov, it wasn't sincere? So there you got it. A weakening of the word. Normally, neshika means to kiss. Normally, kissing means that there's a tremendous emotional investment. The nakuda weakens and says, actually not. And even the second opinion that Rashi quotes over there, which is the exact opposite, that Esav actually was wholehearted in the way that he embraced Yaakov, that would weaken the perspective of how, of how we normally know Esav, somebody who is prescribed by halacha that he hates Yaakov absolutely. So that's one possibility. You could weaken the word from its normal meaning. Other nochmer, you could be even more extreme than that. Sometimes the nikud could totally uproot the word from context. Like, for example, the Gemara in Zvachim, which says if a koyan is doing avoida in the base Amikdash and there's a stone that has been lifted out of where it belongs on the floor, and there's a whole question about whether it's still considered connected to the ground and he could do his avoida or not. So it's connected but disconnected. So we could do that to demvort. The word could become disconnected from its context. Now that example is in our parasha. Rashi says that Lloyd didn't know. The Pasuk says that Lloyd didn't know when his daughter lay with him or when she got up. Says Rashi, Rashi says, no, no, no. We're going to pull the Vakuma out of the context. The context is that Lloyd was completely oblivious. We're actually going to pull it out of the context because there's a dot on the hay of Uvakuma. And that tells us that actually he was more aware than the context makes out. 
but we're not cancelling the word. We're not saying that there was absolute knowledge, because as we'll see in a second, maybe Lloyd had knowledge, but the daughters didn't have knowledge. So it still has value. So let's read it. So the next thing that Torah tells us after Lloyd's first daughter slept with him, it says, We see that the girls the next day plan that they're going to drug their father again, intoxicate the father again, and the second daughter will sleep with him. Now, why did they have to do that? It's doch nicht moving. Seeing as Lloyd was conscious of the fact that he had slept with his daughter when she got up in the morning, it's not going to help to drag him tonight because he knows he's going to, his God will be up. Either he's going to be complicit or he's going to be resistant. Now, the beer in them is as das, was we come, ja, da is gesagt, ich war noch wenig Jahr leuten. So therefore, you must know that when it says that Uvakuma, that he was aware of the fact that his daughter got up, he was aware of that fact. But they were unaware of the fact that he was conscious of what had happened. That's why they thought they could repeat the same strategy and it would work. So that tells you that their word is so what does it tell you? The word Uvakuma has been weakened. Why? Because it's removed from the person it's describing, Lloyd, because he, Taka, did know. But it's not completely cancelled from the whole conversation because the girls didn't know. So what do we see from here? That generally speaking, we've seen examples that a Nakuda does not cancel a word even when it weakens it. So now let's take that into our context. Now we're talking about our context where you have the word a love, and now you've got nakudos on three of the letters. The fact that three out of the four letters have dots on top of them, vices, illustrates. As the Shaila Tsusara, Ayoy Avram, is given nit betake of kol kach, vidishaila ilov tsu Avram. That tells you that the principle of a nakuda is that it weakens the meaning of the word. If the Nekudos are specifically on the letters that tell us about the question directed to Sarah, how is Avram, that tells you that that part of the question was somehow less than the question to Avram, how is Sarah. So we had a question earlier. Why do we need the dots on top of the letters that you're going to Darshan? Just put a dot on the Lamed and we'll automatically then Darshan the others. It's because the, the dots are not just there to tell us where to focus your attention, but also how to interpret. The dots tell you that these letters have to be read as a weaker version of the meaning of the word. So the question to Avram Avinu, where is Sarah, is somehow a stronger question, or how is Sarah, is a stronger question than the question to Sarah, how is Avram Avinu, and we'll see why. That explains why you need the dots on three of the letters. And why, in fact, yes, of course, if there was just a dot on the Lamed, then just using the simple principle of which is the majority, that's what I'd darshan. I'd come to the same conclusion of which letters to darshan. Right, based on the principle we learned. The Torah doesn't just want me to know which letters I have to analyze, but also to know how to analyze them. Aleph, Yud, Vav is weaker than a love. The question to Sarah about Avram is not as strong as the question to Avram about Sarah. Why? Why is the question to Sarah Imenu about Avram Avinu less powerful than the question to Avram? That's why Rashi went straight from that, directly into the conversation from Baba Metzia, which tells us because Sarah was modest. It's now logical that if Sarah is such a modest individual, then logically, then it has to be that when the Malachim spoke to her to inquire after Avram Avinu's well-being, it had to have been done in a toned-down, modest fashion, a weakened fashion. 
So now we originally thought, wow, there's a contradiction over here. You're telling me she's so modest, but then you're telling me that they're asking her about Avram. It's actually not a contradiction. The fact that we're quoting Bob Metzia that she was so modest is to tell us it's not only is it no longer a contradiction to the notion that they asked Sarah about Avram Avinu, now that we understand that sneers is such a big theme in this conversation, that helps us to understand why the dots are on the letters, because that indicates that sneers, the dampening of the asking Sarah about Avram Avinu. Now, why do we have to know it's from Bob Metzia? So the time was from Pirishodim Hoychul Redeshet Snoa Hoysa. Is Rashi Makhtim by Bob Metzia Oimrim? The fact that Rashi first says Bob Metzia, they tell us that she was sneers. Is Valdi Aschola de Klal from Rabbi Shimben Eloza state Oichim Bereshis Rabba? Why? Because the principle that Rabbi Shimben Eloza taught about asking the host and the hostess about each other is already quoted in the Medrash. So Rashi Azeb bring them Hefshach for Bob Metzia Dafke. Why does Rashi say that it's from Bob Metzia? Number one, because he has to show us that the flow works, and also that each side of the explanation bolsters the other side. The river is the by Rashi Madgish, but Bob Metzia Oimrim. So, first of all, Rashi emphasizes not that an individual or that it's written in Bob Metzia. He says in Bob Metzia, they say in the plural. Why? As der inin vashtet in Bob Metzia, l'idea shetznu oiso, is oimrim stam. The principle that is taught in Bob Metzia, that Sarah was so modest, is oimrim without a specific name associated with it, which means alma, which means that all opinions agree that Sarah had this incredible level of sneers. And why is that relevant? Because it means Because it's telling us, Rashi wants us to know that even Rabbi Shimon ben Elazar, who was the one who said that they, the Malachim were going to ask Sarah about Avram, he is also of the opinion that which is exactly where Rashi wants to be. He wants to be in a place where you realize that the asking of Sarah, how she was, is Tznius, which helps us to appreciate why the dots are on the Aleph Yudvav. Not only that, but even according to Rabbi Yosef Barchanino, who said that they wanted to send her the Koisha Brocha, which sounded even less sneers, he also holds As we'll still see why it's not a contradiction that they sent her wine and yet it was sneers. So at this point, we now understand the flow. We understand that we need to tell the story about her being Tznias in order to help us understand the Aleph Yudvav and why the dots are specifically on those letters and to clarify that even when they asked Sarah about her husband, it was done in the most Tznias way. So why do we have to know the Kosher Brocha story? The truth is that even explaining that Sarah was so modest is still not a full picture of the story. Because obviously Avram Avinu knew that his wife was sneers. <laughs> and the Malochim, being Malochim, must have been conscious of the fact that Avram Avinu knew how sneers his wife was. So to say to make Avram cherish sorrow is a bit of a stretch. It's more like to remind Avram Avinu how much he already cherishes sorrow. That'd be more accurate. So because it's not, so to speak, a compelling enough reason for the Malachim to have asked about sorrow, the Rib is Rashi Moisif. That's how Rashi asks, adds another explanation. That in addition, obviously, to the fact that they wanted to show Avram Avinu that they were so impressed at Sarah's modesty, they also practically needed to send her Koshal Brocha. Then you'll ask, so why do I have to get into a conversation about sneers? Just tell me simply that they wanted to send her Koshal Brocha. Because that answer in itself is insufficient. You've just heard the Gemara tell us that they actually knew where she was and they only asked the question to alert Avram Avinu to her sneers. 
So then to send her Koisha Bracha, they didn't have to ask, where is she? Because they now know. So that's how Rashi tells us. They dafka asked the question, which would force Avram Avinu to answer. His answer would be that she's sneers in the oil, which would remind him again of how sneers she is. Because that would highlight the degree of her sneers. Besides that, there's another upside to the explanation which says that they wanted to send a kosher brocha over the explanation which says that they wanted to highlight how sneers she is. He has an additional advantage to explaining that they motivated because they wanted to send her kosher brocha rather than just to say she's sneers. If the entire purpose of their conversation was to say, look how Tznias Sarah is, then the objective is not to know where she is. The objective is to know where she's not. Look, she's not here. She's not in our faces. That tells you she's Tznias. It wouldn't have been necessary to arrive at the point where Avram says, no, she is in the tent. The tent meaning a fixed article. We know where she is. But if they want to send her a kosher brocha, well, then obviously we need a clarity where exactly is she, so we know where to send this cup. But we still have a question niggling at us. It sounds wholly inappropriate for strange men. We know they're malachim, but their guys is strange men. To be sending a glass of wine to a married woman, why doesn't Avraham Avinu send his own wine? The fact that the Malachim had to send their own cup of wine to Sarah. When Avram surely could have shared his own cup of wine with her, is for a much more obvious reason than we would have thought. Is moving by Pashtas. Seeing as Avram Avinu is the paragon host. He does the mitzvah of guests better than anybody in history. So therefore, is Avram given in ganzen fanum with Mesham as ein You can imagine Avram Avinu was completely and absolutely preoccupied with serving his guests these malachim, as the pasuk says. The pasuk says he stood over them and only they ate. He didn't have any food because he was serving. So therefore, he didn't eat. So practically, he didn't have wine to bench on to send the kosher brocha. <laughs> so who else is supposed to send them the kosher brocha? Can't be Avram Avinu. He's not eaten. So now that clarifies that the idea of the Malachim sending their wine to Sarah is not immodest. Because there was no alternative. There was no better option. There was no more modest way to do this. They have the kosher brocha. She needs to get some of the kosher brocha. They have to send it. And of course, they didn't personally encounter Sarah and give her the wine. They sent it. And probably with Avram himself, or at least as one of his servants. Now, if you're really smart, <laughs> the five-year-old student, if he's really sharp, could say one second. Maybe even the fact that she was willing to accept their kosher brocha, no matter that there was no alternative, maybe that's also not serious enough. Therefore, Rashi has to tell us who taught us Rabbi Yosef Barchanina. Why? What does Rabbi Yosef Barchanina teach us? Because Rabbi Yosef Barchanina says in the Gemara Brochus that women are far, far better at discerning the caliber of their guests than the husbands are. Which means that immediately Sarah would have detected that these guests are not just idolaters passing through. They're not ordinary people. And therefore, 
So to accept kosher bracha from people who are apparently at such an elevated spiritual level that they even appear perhaps angelic, is not immodest. So we've settled that. So we've, we've settled the whole flow. We've settled all the explanations. We understand now why it's all part of the same conversation about Ayoi. Why the Nakudas have to be on the letters that we're going to Darshan because we want to weaken the message. Why it's highlighting her tzniyus and why they needed to know exactly where she was so that they could send a kosher brocha, which Avram couldn't do and wasn't not tzniyus because Sarah detected who they were. But there's still something that we've left un unsolved. We've now shown that all the three explanations do not contradict each other, which is fine. Because they don't all contradict each other, it's fair to say that when the Malachim asked that um, Sora, sorry, that, that they intended all three things. But you cannot escape the fact that there are three independent explanations. Therefore, back to the question we asked earlier, why does Rashi put them all into one long sentence? They should at least have some separators. Unlike how Rashi usually does it when he brings various explanations, even though they're all linked on the same phrase, even if they don't contradict each other, and even where they all complement each other, Rashi still uses words like to distinguish between the explanations. Why not here? Is there beer in them? Explanation is this. The fact that Rashi brings three different explanations in one continuum. Because remember, the whole point over here is that Rashi says at the beginning of the parasha, one malach, one task. That's why there are three malachim standing here in front of Avram and Sarah. And therefore, that means that each angel was asking about Sarah for a different reason. Because Rashi already identified for us at the beginning of the parasha that a single malach cannot do more than one job. And each reason is going to be relevant to one of the three malachim. To send a kosher bracha one malach is good enough. In fact, that's how it is in normal circumstances. When you uh, distribute kosher bracha after benching between everybody, after avdola or kiddush, whatever it is, one person does it. To ask how Avram Avinu is doing, one malach could have been the representative of everybody else. And ask the question. To highlight how modest Sarah is that Avram Avinu should pay attention to it, one malach would be sufficient. Last question we have to resolve is, why was Rashi, why was it important for Rashi to tell us that the one who teaches us the principle of whether you dash in the letters or the Nakudis is Rabbi Shimon ben Elazar? Why is his shita relevant? Why do we have to know it's him? Because the Klalas Vendi Nakudis means So what do we got? We've got a word. You got four letters in the word. Three of those letters have dots. So we're saying, okay, that means we have to pay special attention to those three letters. So what do we intend with that? As we already mentioned earlier, we're not looking here now to cancel or reject the pshat, which is, love that they said to Avraham Certainly Rashi is not going to take an attitude that the Nakudois cancel the pshat because Rashi's entire approach to explaining Torah is pshat. Nor as Rather, what we want to illustrate over here is that besides the obvious explanation of the Pasuk, if, if I'm looking at Pshat, then I don't see Aleph Yud Vav stand out, I see Elav as a word. Besides that, the additional Nakudas add an additional perspective, which is that besides the Pshat, there's another explanation as well that relates specifically to the words with dots on them. Which means that even those letters that have the dots, 
which in our conversation is the three letters Aleph Yud Vav in those three letters there are two things Aleph is from love first and foremost Aleph Yud Vav is part of the word a love which I read at face value as they spoke to Avram Avin and that's why those are the letters that have the dots because actually the key hinges on the Aleph which makes the word into Elov. So the main thing we have to know about these letters is that they belong to a word that has a meaning. Then Then in addition to that, these three letters also have a secondary message, which is standalone. What's the standalone message? Asking Sarah, Ayoy, how's Avramavina doing? So a smart five-year-old is going to say, does that make any sense? That the smaller portion of the word should influence the larger portion? You're telling me the Lamed is going to tell the whole context of what the word really means? How does it make logical sense that I have three out of four letters that all have to conform in their meaning to a single letter? Why would the minority influence the majority? Rashi resolves that issue by telling us, ah, but look who said this. It was Rabbi Shimon ben Elazar. And this principle is the one that will also teach us a take-home lesson. Shimon ben Elazar zokti masech de in the halachas of Yom Tov, in masech de beitzah, Rabbi Shimon ben Elazar tells us that memalo isha kol atanur pas vifnei shapas nefes yavu vizman shatanur mole. If a woman needs to bake a loaf of bread on Yom Tov, she's permitted to fill the entire oven with loaves of bread, even if she will not use any of the others on Yom Tov, because a full oven helps the, be- the bread bake better. Which means, Despite the fact that for today, for Yom Tov, she only needs one loaf, She's entitled to bake dozens of loaves simultaneously. Because the more packed the oven is, you have to remember in those days they had those large ovens. So the more packed the oven is, the better the bread will, the bread will, will bake because there's not a lot of open space in the oven. So what does that tell you? Shimon Elazar has a shita that under appropriate circumstances, a whole large amount of something has to s- surrender itself to a small, or in this case, even a single one loaf that now dictates the reality of all these other loaves and how the halacha behaves with regards to them. Using similar logic, Rabbi Shimon ben Elazar is comfortable with the idea that a single letter, Lamed, will define the other three letters, Aleph Yudvav. And that will teach us a lesson. The Geshmak, the insight, the depth of Rashi. Very often we'll think in our own lives, wow, the amount of time that I dedicate to Torah Mitzvahs is actually very limited. I spend most of my time eating, drinking, doing business, socializing, things which are permitted but not required by Torah. So you could become a little bit depressed by it. When I look at the, the quantum of space in my life and how much of it is occupied by Torah Mitzvahs, there's a big vacuum that is not filled. To that, we learn this lesson. As long as what you're doing in the power of time has a direction of serving Hashem. So you earnings that you can afford, uh, that you can give tzedakah, that you can make, whatever. That all of that quantity of things that we do that is not technically Torah and Mitzvahs, because it's directed for the purpose of Torah and Mitzvahs, becomes bottled to and included in the quality of Torah and Mitzvahs. It's like the woman filling the entire oven for one loaf, and all of that other bread takes on the, the, the reality of this one loaf. Even though on Yontif really I'm only supposed to do Melacha if it's directly relevant to Yontif. 
weil er den ganzen Tanner passt, wie bald er kommt, ich denke, als der Pastor der Zürcher so sein Neffe Joffa. Because the whole reason I've got all this other bread in the oven is to benefit the single loaf that is for Yomtev. Wird er Yomtev dicker pass, that all of that bread becomes Yomtev bread. And therefore, und der Cholat Tanner is ongefüllt mit Yonim, nicht mit Yonim, Shachonon mit Yonim von Yomtev. So what happens is now the entire oven is no longer filled with a whole lot of mundane bread servicing a single loaf, but all the bread becomes yomtev bread. If I'm engaged with eating or social, exercising, do business, whatever, but the focus is that all of that should be able to add value to material mitzvahs. Or to borrow the, the, the expression in Beitza over there, that you're doing all of this to help the bread of your Torah learning bake better, you know, to be more successful. As the famous explanation for the Alter Rebbe on the Pasuk in the Teichol, which says, that when it says that ten women would bake the bread in a single oven, as the Lechem, the Teichol, so sein, is gebacken in der Chamimus Tanur, ho'ava bom isbenes shalechot. That what it means is that the Torah learning a person does should be fired up with the passion of the Tanur, the oven, of Echod, of contemplating the oneness of God. Then a person can achieve what the Rambam says in Hilchah's Deos, that a person would consistently serve Hashem even when you're doing business, even when you're sleeping. Your sleep is also how you serve Hashem, sleeping, to be able to have the energy, to be able to focus, to be able to learn, etc. That means that a person becomes an individual who serves Hashem in everything that you do and in every way that you do things and even in the lowest parts of those different facets of life. That is the purpose for which the world was created. The whole big world was created for the single loaf. That we should make a home for Hashem specifically in our limited, finite physical world. Whose birthday is that he explains in detail in in Hemshech Samechvov about the idea of making that will prepare us and, and take us quickly to the time where we won't need to bake the bread, so to speak. Because as the Gemara tells us, the land of Israel itself will, will supply all the pastries and all the beautiful clothing, etc. For the coming of Mashiach immediately in Mitzvah now.